Welcome to the latest episode of the In Conversation with eClinical Medicine podcast. I'm Bianca Brandon, Senior Editor. And I'm Hannah Lynn, Senior Editor at eClinical Medicine, part of the Lancet Discovery Science. Each month, we'll be interviewing an author of a paper published in our journal, giving them an opportunity to provide a deeper discussion of their research. We're joined today by Dr. Kiara Chang to talk about the link between ultra-processed food consumption and cancer risk, and how her team's recent work using the large-scale UK biobank cohort helps us to better understand this observed association. Dr. Chang is a research fellow at the Public Health Policy Evaluation Unit, Imperial College London. She has a background in statistics and public health. Her research focuses on solving quantitative questions in the areas of nutritional epidemiology and evaluations of public health policy. Dr. Chang has led and contributed substantially to the research on ultra-processed foods. This includes the examination of its consumption patterns in UK adults and children, and how its consumption level links to the development of obesity and other chronic health outcomes in adults and children. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Chang, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Your paper published in A-Clinical Medicine focuses on ultra-processed food consumption, cancer risk, and cancer mortality. First of all, can you explain what ultra-processed foods are and outline the key findings of your study and their importance in the context of the global burden? Sure. So ultra-processed foods are mass-produced industrial products made with multiple ingredients. And many of these ingredients are chemically modified and exclusively used by the industry. And some examples are high fructose corn syrup, modified starch, and protein isolate. Those these ingredients are combined through multiple steps of industrial processing, and during which a lot of artificial additives are usually added into these products. And some examples of additives are colors, flavors, or additives to change the consistency and texture of the final product. And some common ultra-processed foods are, for example, soft drinks, uh, mass-produced packaged breads, flavor yogurt, um, most breakfast cereals, and many ready meals. So in our study, we follow up oh, almost 200,000 middle-aged adults from the UK, and we follow them up for 10 years' time. And we found that during this time, those with a higher consumption of ultra-processed food uh, had a higher risk of developing and dying from cancer overall, and also for developing uh, ovarian and brain cancer, and dying from particularly breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And these findings are important because cancer is one of the leading cause of death and mortality worldwide, but up to 50% of cancer cases can be potentially prevented. And that's why healthy dietary pattern is one of the most important risk factors to potentially address and reverse this trend. So moving on from this, what features or characteristics of ultra-processed foods do you think might be responsible for the increased risk of cancer and cancer-related mortality? For instance, could it be contaminants introduced during industrial processing, food additives, packaging materials, or the lack of actual nutritional content such as fibre combined with the high levels of salt and sugar? Yes, so they we think that there may be multiple factors that's contributing to the link between ultra-processed food consumption and higher risk of cancer and cancer-related mortality. We know better that many of those ultra-processed food, like you said, are loaded with energy and higher in salt, fat, sugar, and lower in dietary fiber. But there are also a range of ultra-processed food that are designed with 
zero or low calorie content and they are fat and they are low in fat and low in sugar. So there may be other, and we know from research so far that the poor nutritional quality of these ultra processed foods may not fully explain the, the association between their consumption and all these different cancer and other poor health outcomes. We know some evidence from the recently published French study that's shown that dietary exposure to uh, more artificial sweeteners consumption uh, associated with higher risk of overall and obesity-related cancer. And we also saw from a previous U.S. study, large U.S. study, that the, high, the urinary concentration of phthalates and bisphenols, and these are packaging contaminants, so the concentration of these are much higher in those with a higher ultra-processed food consumption. But many of other evidence are coming from animal studies showing harmful effects for all these different contaminants. So we definitely need more human studies and more research to understand all the uh, these other non-nutritional uh, factors and how they are related, contributing to poor health outcomes and cancer risk. As mentioned in your study, there are projected increases in cancer burden in the coming decades. What do you think the consequences of your findings might be for the food industry and how governments regulate the sale of ultra-processed foods? Do you think, for instance, that ultra-processed foods could, should contain a warning label or similar? Yes, it's very concerning that we saw from previous research that there's been an increasing availability and also variety of ultra-processed food over time and globally. And the sales volume of ultra-processed food are increasing most rapidly in low- and middle-income countries, while in high-income countries, we are already consuming the very high level of ultra-processed foods. Our study is further adding to the data from cancer, showing higher risk of cancer risk and cancer mortality. So definitely, we, we need more policies to help reduce and lower the consumption of ultra-processed foods. And there are many policy options, but just for the conscious of time, I'm going to highlight two policy recommendations. And one of them is to introduce mandatory and front of pack warning labels to tell the customers exactly that what is ultra processed food and which products are not ultra processed to make it easier when they are making healthier choices and um, selecting their foods. And the other policy recommendation is to upgrade our fiscal policies. Many countries, including the UK, have a taxation on sugary drinks, and th these can be extended to cover other ultra-processed, milk-based and food-based drinks, and as well as other ultra-processed food products, bringing up the prices of ultra-processed food. But at the same time, it's very important to subsidize and encourage the provision of healthy and nutritious, minimally processed food and health uh, and freshly prepared meals options, so that ultra processed food will not be will not always be the only cheap go to options for everyone. Could you also comment on the specific impact of your findings on participants with a lower socioeconomic status? So, with a greater proportions of these individuals in the highest quartile of ultra processed food consumption. So in the study, we control for uh, socioeconomic status in our data, and also we control for other demographic characteristics as well as lifestyle factors, including smoking status and physical activity. And after adjusting for all these factors, we still see a prospective association between higher ultra-processed consumption and increased risk of cancer and cancer-related mortality. 
but you point out rightly that there's a, a potential risk that those with a lower socioeconomic background, more of them may be exposed to higher consumption of ultra-processed food. And we do have data from the previous national, the representative study from the UK, showing that those with the highest socioeconomic status, on average, they consume 50% of their daily calorie intake from ultra-processed foods. And while that's already a pretty high level, those with the lowest socioeconomic status counterpart, they consume a much higher, they consume 57% of their daily calorie intake from ultra-processed foods. So this sort of reflects the fact that, in, and it's common in many high-income countries, that ultra-processed foods are marketed as a comparatively cheap options. So it may be more appealing to those, uh, to the price-sensitive consumers. And that is why uh, policies such as taxation may be better in terms of um, trying to rebalance the price between ultra-processed food and other healthy non-ultra-processed foods. And the introduction of these taxation policy may be more effective in terms of protect these price-sensitive consumers from the potential harm of ultra-processed foods. So in your opinion, what do we still need to learn about the effects of ultra-processed foods on cancer risk and health more generally? So because this is only the first UK study and the most comprehensive study so far that's been looking at the risk and of developing and dying from overall cancer and other cancer subtypes. Um, we, and this is also uh, the first time that we are able to look at out cancer outcomes such as brain cancer and ovarian cancer um, in a cohort type of study. So more research is uh, definitely needed to, to validate these findings in other countries or from other cohorts, because in other countries, there may be a differences in terms of their food culture, in terms of their food environment, that could be different uh, from the UK. So we definitely need more research. And the other point is that we also need to understand a, a lot more about the other non-nutritional uh, mechanistic pathway that's mentioned before, those artificial ingredients, artificial additives, and other chemical contaminants that could be contributing to these relationships. And we need more human studies to understand that. Yes, great. Lots of research still to be done. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing your insights um, into this important topic. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, Dr. Chang. And thank you, listener, for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With eClinical Medicine wherever you usually get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.